Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live, where we're discussing the digital revolution, the extraordinary impact it's had on our lives, the way that this pandemic has turned the world upside down and inside out over the last several months, and where we're going to go from here as we move forward. Clearly, one of the most important areas for companies today and us as individuals is this area of talent. Where are the great jobs? Who are the great people? What are companies looking for? And from the other side, what are great talent talented people looking for today. So we're delighted to introduce a new digital all-star here at Cloud Wars Live, Pat Fitzgerald, longtime uh, recruiting legend in the uh, talent HR business. He was at SAP, a number of other big companies. He's got an incredible track record there and several years ago left to start his own company, Career Ave. Pat Fitzgerald, welcome to Cloud Wars Live. It's great to have you. Thank you, Bob. It's awfully nice to be with you and great to see you again. And uh, I appreciate the invite and we'll, I'm looking forward to seeing if we can certainly provide some insight for today. Perfect, perfect. Well, Pat, you know, in this context, each of our uh, several monthly digital all-stars has his or her own field of specialization. And I thought that the, the perfect title for what you do and your experience, your incredible knowledge and contacts is, you know, uh, Fitzgerald on talent. Uh, do you think that fits? Works for me, Bob. Thank you. All right. All right. So, Pat, it is, uh, it's so interesting what's going on today, right? Even, uh, you know, you look back at January, February, I mean, this was a boom market, unlike Huge. something we've ever seen now the last Huge. seven months have roiled things in a very different direction. Um, You've got some good thoughts overall. So sort of set the table for us, Pat, from a high stage, especially some of your thoughts about, you think, how much new school is essential today versus, you know, some of the traditional stuff. What, what, what's the mix right now, Pat? Thanks, Bob. <clears throat> well, I, I think we all know that as we see the marketplace, particularly in the tech world, even with the hiccup yesterday, the tech world is certainly rebounding. And, and we've seen many companies, you know, stay very strong through certainly the pandemic. Uh, I think, as we know, uh, virtual offices and what have you are here to stay. So there's a lot of dynamics that are certainly changing. But the talent war hasn't really changed, uh, even through the pandemic. Even my clients, and certainly I know many of my competitors out there, stayed busy through the pandemic with a, a lot of key hires that they were really looking to do, knowing you know, that they would come out of it. And I think, Bob, as you know, uh, fourth quarter of 2020 certainly looks like it's ramping up very, very aggressively. We're busy and we're busy in a lot of different areas. We're busy in search. Uh, we're busy. Naturally, all the tech companies want to hire new talent, especially around sales. Uh, but we're also busy in the strategy documents that we create for certain small clients around global TA. Um, so to your question around um, old school, new school. Bob, you and I have talked about this. We're friends, so I appreciate this. Uh, I'm an old school recruiter. I believe in relationships. I believe in market intelligence. I believe in competitive intelligence. I'm an early morning guy, so I like to still get up and look at the marketplace and certainly follow all the blogs. The technology today is, frankly, tremendous for us recruiters, and it really allows for us to really do more of that market intelligence. And as you know, there's a whole new trend of talent intelligence, which is kind of an overarching umbrella and it's evolving and many companies aren't necessarily using it properly. But to that point, we now see these cool little companies out there that are doing AI around talent and, and you know, multiple hiring. 
I think that's always going to be the, the case going forward. And I think it, it's here to stay. And there's a lot of real activity. The whole back office of the HCM marketplace is evolving. All of the HCM companies want to get into the TA side, into an ATS system. Um, many of the ATS systems still don't necessarily have CRM, which is a, an opportunity for, for them to really understand how to get ahead of the, re the recruiter. So a good recruiter today, especially in the fast-growing companies that are looking for unique talent, I believe still needs to have the opportunity of all the technology, but then he or she really needs to focus in on relationships. You've heard me say this before. I think a talented recruiter can become a trusted advisor to his or her clients, can actually become a member of the leadership team. Instead of being tactical always, they should be strategic and know where the business is going and, and get ahead of it. Uh, we used to do, and Bob, you were there with us at SAP, we used to, we used to do probably 15, 20% of our executive hires in the early days through exploratories because we knew where the business was going for the next year. And we were able to get ahead of it even before the roles were created or, or really finalized. But I love the idea of relationship building. For me, it's about talking to candidates all the time. And I'm a firm believer in, you know, in maybe not now, but, but certainly sometime in the future. So getting to know people and building a personal network. I, I think especially if you're a good recruiter that's, that's hiring key, key hires, that you really need to understand the culture of the client. And the only way you're going to do that is through really being a member of that leadership team. We talked a little bit earlier about the companies today, and we're seeing such a huge growth in the private equity and venture capital. And we certainly have seen that for decades, but, but I think it's really continuing to grow. And, and these, these mid-tier and smaller pre-IPO companies really need to understand their culture. And I think the venture firms and the PE firms, uh, personally, I would advise them, bring in an assessment tool. There's, there's so many assessment tools out there today that are so uh, less intrusive. If you remember when we brought you to SAP, we used a, a big firm and, and it was a two-day endeavor in the assessment. Today, we see these tools out there that we've seen a couple that are eight minutes on the candidate and the amount of information that it gives. So to be able to know the culture of the company under the new leaders, because every leadership is going to be different, really helps the company set the standard of really trying to high into, hire into the personality and the personality characteristics that will really make the, the company a much more cohesive leadership team. Um, but in today's world, um, I, I, if I could you know, share with my competitors and my, my, my counterparts in both corporate and recruiting world, um, go back to the old school work, get on the phone, talk to people, uh, I learn about the new technologies through my candidates. I do my reading and I love to absorb all of the information that's out there, but I'm a practical learner. So I love to talk to people like you and you've given me a lot of great information over the years. You helped me tremendously, you know, as you were first coming into SAP with all the new technology um, and build those relationships with the people so that you can really understand how to develop the right talent for the clients that you're working with, or in your case, in some cases, for the recruiters in the particular clients you're working for. It, it allows for you to really become more strategic than just tactical. 
there are lots of companies out there, as we know, that are doing multiple hires and the, and the advent of iSIMS and, and all these other AI TA companies are, are huge and they're gonna be a tremendous asset for a lot of companies. But it's still not the way that most companies wanna grow. They wanna grow with the individuals and the big talent and key positions. So there has to be a balance of it. Uh, I, I firmly believe today that if a good recruiter wants to really become a trusted advisor, they've got to earn that status. They've got to prove that they understand the marketplace. One of the things that I used to do with my executives when I was in corporate is I was out there all the time, first thing in the morning, I'm a morning person, so I'm online early, and, and any new changes within the competitors, I'd send those, those uh, headlines or the articles out to the executives so that they could see the changes within the marketplace adding more around the competitive intelligence and the market intelligence that I think that these companies and the executives that you support would like to expect from us. And I think it really adds a lot of value. You know, I, I was thinking about that as you described the relationships and, you know, you keep coming back to that term relationships, market intelligence, uh, what's going on here, where the world's headed, not just where it's going. And there can be a reliance, as you've said too much, some of the new AI tools are, are fantastic. But as you were describing that, Pat, it reminded me of um, when I was in Singapore a few years ago. And I, I'm, sorry, I'm sort of embarrassed. I can't remember the exact name of the hotel, but it's that incredible one with the three towers. And yeah, then it's something like a ship or a snake across the top. Mm -hmm. And I was up there uh, on the top with a colleague. We were having lunch and we noticed a lot of people around us, many of them young people, but of all ages, but particularly the young people had uh, the sticks, the selfie sticks with their phones on the end. And I know my buddy there at one point, he looked around, he said, I wonder if they ever see what's actually out there with their own eyes, or do we just see the world through this right. tool on the end of a stick. So mm -hmm. I think your counsel there about, sure, you know, push these new tools to their absolute limit, get as much as you essential. can out of them, but there's no replacement, right? No. For, for that one-to-one -one relationship and that sense of trust that I think, especially Pat, in today's market and today's world, this notion of trust in when so many things we have to do are digital now, that that interpersonal connection is is more important, I think, now than ever. It is. And we see it today where you see key hires for these big, you know, these high growth companies. You, naturally, we have to look at my world in the talent side. The clients are some of them are just maintaining, some of them are, are just replacing. And then there are those that are high growth. But the high growth are trying to define, you know, both scale and clock speed, uh, succession planning. Uh, there's so many opportunities for a good talent leader to collaborate internally, to your point, uh, with, with learning and development and with, with the HR business partners on, the, on the, the, where the future is going, uh, to be able to really understand what, that, what they want to look like in today's market. Today's marketplace, again, I, I said it before, I think a lot of companies just end up defaulting to their culture versus the leadership of that company defining their culture. Defaulting is not a bad thing as long as you don't end up with the, you know, with with really different personalities kind of at odds with each other when it comes to really where the business development should be going. So, um, 
And I'm worried between you and me that, you know, we have this reliance on the AI and the, and the tools. And I think a lot of my colleagues in my space have, have really relied too much, almost 100% of it. And, then, and I think now you're really just deferring to automation. We're certainly seeing bots come out now that are even more aggressive than the AI tools. Uh, I don't know if the companies really want the technology to choose their culture. That's my word. Yeah. Well, Pat, you know, that the thing about uh, culture, right, and and this substitution or this trend toward um, allowing or, or you, you push more and more the decision making over to uh, straight technology to towards software that, you know, I understand that in a lot of respects. But, you know, as you talk about leaders and you're working with a lot of high growth companies, they, they've got great potential, but it counts on getting the right people in the right place at the right time. And so whether it's a big company that's, you know, not uh, exactly growing like crazy or a small one that has to grow at a rapid rate to achieve, they've got to get, you know, they, they, there's no room for error. And I think it's, um, it's a little bit like in sports, right? You know, you look and right. as they say on paper, you know, team A is going to beat team B 10 times out of 10, but that's why they play right. the games, right. right? And and the 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 intelligence will point you in certain directions. They'll give you certain indicators, open our eyes to different things. We got to work with each other on a daily basis. And I, I, I think this over-reliance on the technology can be dangerous, Pat. And if you extend that a little bit more, I want to ask you to come back to that point you made about leadership and culture, because okay. right, if leaders don't set the culture, then can a company have a powerful, you know, uh, cohesive culture, or does it splinter into a lot of different subcultures among different groups, but not one that is unified across the company? Right. And we've seen it. And, and yes, they can succeed, but ultimately they end up with some hiccups and they have to really reset certain things. Um, you and I have been fortunate. We've worked with some of the best and brightest in the marketplace, and, and they've recognized, they knew that innately that the culture of that, what they wanted to set was functional and more importantly. And, and we've both worked for executives that you know have been very involved in even lower level hiring to make sure that they are setting the standards of their individuals below them on what the personality and clock speed and characteristics that they're looking for. So there are many, but I, I don't think there's a lot. One of the things that I'm seeing a little shift is in the before COVID, because we saw such high growth of the big companies, they were looking for, and we've always talked about this, when, when they have an opening, um, those companies were, were asking for bigger than players. They wanted the experience. They wanted the scalability. They wanted that. They, they were building a new business unit or cloud was evolving so fast that they were trying to grab someone, you know, that had that much more experience in a space that they were moving into. But in COVID now, through COVID, we're seeing, a, I'm seeing a shift where those companies are now really looking for the rising star. They want the younger, aggressive talent that they can mold, which to, to the culture conversation is the perfect asset because now you're really identifying to the best of your ability, those characteristics that you want, the clock speed, the tenacity, you know, the EQ, IQ that we certainly always talk about, but now they're taking those young risers and they're molding them and building them into the leaders of, of the future. And we, you know, we've seen that too, but it's been an interesting change in the recent months. Yeah, Pat. And also you had, um, you had some interesting thoughts and you're talking about the, 
uh, particularly in the context of what you just described, you know, high change, high pace of speed, you know, fast things moving quickly before that tolerance for either mistakes or uh, there, there's no chance to pause and say, hey, wait, let, let, let me go back three or six months and, you know, let me have a redo here. And into that, I think, right, the leaders, as they think about talent and its role and culture, as you've described it, Pat, they've also got to understand and really put a big focus more than ever before on diversity and inclusion. So yes. how do you think companies are doing with that today? Obviously, it's become much more of a dominant issue in the last several years. But you and I know, and we've always seen this, many good companies have been focused on diversity and inclusion for decades. And they've benefited in a massive way, as we always know, we've always known this, from that diversity of thought at the table. And that's always been a huge asset. But today, the, the dilemma we have is, is that a lot of these mid-tier and, and, and aggressive pre-IPO companies, they're focused on diversity right out of the gate. The problem with that is, is that there's just not enough of that talent or that talent is very happy and they're not looking. And that, so the dilemma is there's not enough of the existing players at the right level within the right skill sets to really attract. Diversity and inclusion, uh, again, We've always agreed it's one of the biggest assets that any growing corporation can have. I'm a firm believer, and one of the things that we do with our clients, we do a, a strategy, TA strategy document, as you know. Um, one of the things that we try to explain is, is that, yeah, we're going to be able to help you identify some top talent in, in specific areas where they're diversity you know, players but it's gonna be much more difficult and you won't really change the percentage as aggressively as you want. The only way today in the world today, you and, and it's harder for a pre-IPO or a private equity company to have this, but to, to really have early talent or, or university recruiting function that mandates 50% diversity through the early talent programs. And, and as we all know, that's easy because in the universities today, the diversity is actually greater than 50%, which is, you know, which is wonderful. So the, so the, the problem is, is that if you really want to change your company from the ground up, you've got to start it at the early talent side. And, and many companies that are growing, they, can't, they don't necessarily have an early talent program because they want to hire people that have practical experience. So they already want the three to five year person versus the, the early talent to two year person. But the best way to do it is through early talent programs. And, and there are some amazing early talent leaders out there that understand this, that are doing consulting or are available to hire. So there's, there's a huge opportunity for these, particularly the venture capital and private equity firms that really understand that they've got to do that to, to build it in from the very beginning. Pat, can I ask, you know, a minute ago, you, you mentioned about the need for, uh, you know, within a company to have a 50% mandate about these new hires, how, how effective are companies being or how disciplined are they being at seeing that that's a mandate? It's not a suggestion. It's right. not sort of a right. good idea. Are they really, are they nailing that? Well, so there are a lot of companies out there have tried to mandate that the pipeline for professional and management and executive be 50%. It's not achievable. That's the problem. The mandate needs to come in from architecting the way you wanna grow your company through the early talent program. 
and the early talent program, I mean, as we both know, in today's you know world, there's a tremendous amount of intellect and you know and capacity within these young rising candidates. So to be able to walk into a university and say 50% of our pipeline for early talent or university recruiting needs to be diversity, it is is achievable. Okay. The problem is I've seen many of my clients actually try to require or mandate 50% in the professional or management or executive pipelines. It's a good goal, but it's 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 rarely achievable. Okay. Okay. So that you know, get them going early. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the options that we're suggesting to a couple of our clients is, is that in, a, in our world, in the recruiting world, there's a lot of solid contract recruiters that are just diversity focused. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we're suggesting for, for a quick win as we're building out these global TA strategies is to suggest that they bring in a, a, a contractor for three to six months that is strictly a, a diversity recruiter that actually can build pipeline and, 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 and establish candidates for engineering, for go-to-market, for client-facing. So there are ways to actually, to actually impact the, the, the numbers quicker than just having your internal recruiting team try to build a 50% pipeline again, which is very rarely achievable. Okay. All right, Pat. And I know there was one other big thing you wanted to talk about. And I'm going to put myself in the shoes of a a young person looking for a job. So I have to go back about seven or eight decades to, you know, try to get capture that mindset. And I come to you and I say, Pat, look, all this stuff that you're suggesting sounds good. But I have a full time job, you know, I have to look for this new job in my spare time, right? That's the best I can do. How can you help me? So there's a, there's a couple of things I'd love to be able to share. And I think it's really important today for, for those of us like you and me with multiple decades, seven or eight is a bit of a stretch, but multiple decades behind us, to be able to uh, share back to, to impart. Um, there's a bunch of things. One, I, we all understand that in today's world, you really have to um, establish yourself within a company. So you get your first job out of college, you got to stick with it. You really need to learn. Uh, most people going into their first job don't necessarily understand what they want to be until after they're, they're on that role for a while. In a perfect world, if you as a candidate can show that you've stayed there and you've re- received internal promotions versus changing jobs for promotions, that resonates with the hiring managers to see a resume where they've, you've stayed three years and you've received one promotion versus you stayed a year and a half and you moved over for another promotion. So that's one component for the early talent. But I'm a firm believer, especially at the individual, you know, at the professional and executive level, that it's a full-time job to find the right job. You've really got to do your work. You've got to do your own homework. You've got to really make sure that your online data it reflects the same. So many people make this huge mistake, Bob, which is their LinkedIn profile doesn't reflect the same chronology as their resume. And companies, we all know companies are looking at their social media sites. So you got to be kind of cognizant and smart about the way you look at this. Um, and doing homework. It goes back to what we talked about earlier. It's about doing research. If you're If you do X and you're in the tech world, then make sure you understand exactly what your career path should be. So you need some counseling, some coaching with your manager or other friends as to what your opportunities should be for you to be able to look at. And then then tailor your resume 
specifically to some of those. Now, tailoring a resume is great, but it's got to be honest. You can't make up things. So you've got to be honest about it because they're going to find it out. But rewriting your resume because you're looking at career paths that might take you in a couple of different avenues is, is, a, is a wonderful experience just to highlight those backgrounds in your resume differently, depending upon the type of, of, uh, of, of position you're looking for. And, and nowadays, there's so much of this AI where the automated tool online actually just is a knockout. So being careful to be respectful to the process. But if you do your homework and you find out that someone in your network is a hiring manager at that company, there's nothing wrong with you sending your resume directly to that person. I, I think companies still respect a little bit of that boldness. Yeah, you're going to have to go through the, you know, the, the automated process, you know, maybe afterwards. But you should do your homework about what companies you want to work for. What's the client management style? Is it the right management style that you want to be a part of? There's a lot of asset in making sure you really market yourself to the companies that will really respond to you and, and resonate with your background. Before we close, I want to just uh, offer this word from our sponsor, BMC. BMC wants to know, is your business on its A-game? That's when systems are intelligent by learning from markets where automation is paramount yet effortless and when technology and people work as one in an enterprise. The A-game is your business at its absolute best. BMC calls this the autonomous digital enterprise. Find out more at bmc.com slash A-game. So, Pat, speaking of the, the A games that you are trying to uh, recommend that, that young folks get on here, let me turn this back around to, uh, I just want to ask you in the, the closing thoughts here for how are, what, what grade would you give, say, companies in the tech industry overall? How are they doing with adapting to the new realities of the talent marketplace here in late 2020? Where could they do better? Yeah. My experience is that <clears throat> a lot of companies are still seeing talent acquisition as a tactical role. That's a mistake. It should be a strategic role, part of HR naturally, but respectfully, uniquely different type of background and players uh, for talent versus HR business partners. So that's one mistake. I think then everyone is enamored by the, all the new technology and there's some cool technology. You and I have seen some of these, uh, you know, bots that you and I both use and it's very impressive. There's no doubt. And it's continuing to become even more impressive, but I think too many companies are defaulting too quickly to the technology and they're allowing the technology to be a knockout versus another set of interviewers. We used to we used to talk about it. We used to in the early days, we we introduced uh, assessment candidate assessment into the process of the executive hiring, but we always used the candidate assessment as another interview, not a knockout. But today, you've got these automated tools that when you apply to a job or I apply to a job and I automatically am asked to fill out this questionnaire, it becomes a knockout. It's too restrictive. And you know, I get it for some companies that have so many positions of the same type that they need to do that. It works very well. But if you're really looking for the top 20% of the talent in the marketplace, you've got to go back to the old school. Uh, I think the, the, the technology is, again, just spectacular, but you've got to be careful not to rely too much on it and still be able to go back and, 
you know, we, we used to talk about it. One of the things that we like to do, particularly at the executive level, when we're presenting candidates to our clients is we want to just check our network and find out, you know, a little bit about Bob before we present, you know, does Bob have any skeletons in his closet that's going to embarrass him or us? And so that's sort of, you know, effort that's around competitive intelligence that you really want to be able to do to, to make sure. And, and these companies that are looking for big talent, top 20% talent needs to rely on a good balance of old school and the new technology. Just my guidance. Well, Pat, that's great stuff. Welcome, uh, my friend, to Cloud Wars Live. I think you've already made it here in your debut a big contribution in helping companies understand sort of what's going on with talent today, some right approaches and some things that you at Career Ave have learned, you know, through some some very hard-earned effort. And Pat, please be sure to tell everybody where they could uh, either see you or get in touch with what you and your company does. I appreciate that. We are, my, my company is Career Ave, careerav.com. Um, I have a business partner uh, in Michigan. Mark and I, uh, again, we have a small business. We offer multiple solutions, executive recruiting, contingent recruiting. We do offer RPO in our, in our world. That's contract recruiters to our clients. We'd love to be able to have a select group of clients where we can do multiple things for, multiple offerings. Uh, and then certainly over the years, and I think even more recently, we're seeing a, a real uptick in helping our clients build their global TA strategy documents and strategy uh, around their the, how they should uh, build their organization to really attract the right talent uh, and certainly their budgets. So again, it's careerav.com. Very good. Very good, Pat. Uh, well, this first uh, episode here of Fitzgerald on Talent, I think has been a winner. Thanks so much, my friend. It's, it's wonderful to see you, Pat. Thank you, Bob. I really appreciate the invite. Great to see you as always, my friend. All right. And to all you folks out there, thanks for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live. Probably next month, we will have Pat back for some more discussions about what's going on with talent. And until then, I hope things go well for you, your company, your families, and where we're headed through the rest of the year.